Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. everybody and welcome back to New Books in Latin American Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Candela Marini, your host, and today we'll be talking to Natalia Milanesio about her book Destape, Sex, Democracy and Freedom in Post-Dictatorial Argentina, published by University of Pittsburgh Press this past year, 2019. Welcome Natalia Milanesio and thank you so much for accepting our invitation and being here with us today. Thank you, Candela. It's a pleasure to be here and talk about the the book. Um, So you're an associate professor in the history department at the University of Houston. Yes, that's correct. Your first book was uh, studied consumer culture in mid-20th century Argentina. I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself, um, where you were born and studied, but also how your previous research led you to your current book. Yes, um, like you said, I, I'm currently um, working at the University of Houston. I've been here since 2009, and I've been teaching modern Latin American history. Uh, I was born and raised in Rosario, Argentina's uh, third largest city. Uh, I did my I study history. Uh, I did my licenciatura at the National University of Rosario. Uh, the licenciatura in Argentina is the equivalent of a master's degree, more or less, here in the States, because it requires uh, the writing of a thesis with original sub- substantial research in the archives, in the case of historians. And so I completed my licenciatura at the National University of Rosario and then moved to the States in 2000 to do my master's in history at New York University, and then I uh, did my PhD uh, in history at Indian University. Um, I finished uh, in 2009, and like I said, uh, I've been, um, I moved to Houston and I've been working at the University of Houston since, um, since 2009. Um, my Destape is my uh, third book, second research project. Um, my first book was Workers Go Shopping in Argentina is uh, a social and cultural history of consumption uh, in the 40s and 50s during Juan Domingo Perón's government in Argentina. Uh, and um, basically, very briefly, uh, Perón changed uh, uh, profoundly a society in Argentina by recognizing uh, very important uh, rights for workers. Uh, and one of the most most important changes in this time period, in the time period was the increase in wages for workers. So with more money in their pockets, workers, uh, working class families start spending more on items they had never enjoyed before. So the book, my first book is about uh, that um, 
that new world uh, of popular consumer culture that emerged in the 40s and 50s in, in the context of Peronism. The book, that book, Workers Will uh, Go Shopping in Argentina, uh, was published here in the States in 2013, and I revised it to, uh, to, I revised it for an Argentine reader, for, the, for an Argentine audience, and was published in Argentina in 2014. So the like I said, is my third book, but actually my, my, my second uh, research project. Um, the Stape is, is the, the time period and the topic is completely different from uh, workers go shopping. No, uh, the Stape is a history of sexuality in the 1980s in Argentina, and workers go shopping was about consumption in the 40s and 50s. They're both cultural histories, though, um, and 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 the and the approach in this book, as as we have this conversation, hopefully will become apparent. You now that the methods and the theories and the and the approach respond to to a cultural history. When uh, I, I was, let me just very briefly uh, explain what the stape is before before uh, telling you why I decided to study the Destape. Uh, the Destape was the most explosive sociocultural phenomenon in Argentina after the fall of the military dictatorship. The last military dictatorship in Argentina uh, emerged after a coup d'etat in 1976 and lasted from 1976 to 1983. Um, this was a very repressive, very violent dictatorship at different levels, but also with regard to sexuality. So when the dictatorship fell in, 19, in, in 1983, the destape happened. And destap, destapar in, in Spanish means to take the lid off, to uncover, to undress to expose. So basically, the destape was this, no? uh, the uncovering of sexual images and sexual narratives that uh, had been silenced and repressed during the dictatorship. Um, so I, was, I was growing up in Argentina. I was a preteen in Argentina at the moment of the return uh, of democracy in the country. Uh, so basically, I have very clear recollections. I was still very young, and I did not have access to this to this content. But this was so, so pervasive that I clearly remember you know, this avalanche of sexual images and texts hmm. you know, uh, everywhere, uh, on television, radio, magazines, um, uh, films. So um, when I, I saw, you know, I grew up and I became quite interested in the destape as a cultural phenomenon, and I began collecting uh, magazines, films, images from that time period. But this I did it 
just because I was interested in I was interested in the in the topic. Uh, and at the time, uh, uh, when I when I was in the moment, basically in which I was conceptualizing and thinking about a second book, uh, I I decided that I wanted to continue uh, exploring Pyrrhonism in the 40s and 50s, and I was conceptualizing uh, a project about gender and politics in connection mm-hmm. to to Pyrrhonism in Argentina. And at that time, uh, for some reason, I I decided to start read. I I wanted to read about the Destape beyond no my 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 um, passion for collecting the stabe stuff no and when i decided to start uh, informally researching about the stabe i realized that there was nothing written so basically i couldn't find uh, any works any books about the stabe in argentina so at, at that moment i saw an opportunity as a historian to fill that gap in the literature and at the same time indulging you know, my interest in the topic. In the topic. Uh, for me, that um, in a way created a dilemma because I had already begun you know, with, the, with the second project on Peronism uh, and also because uh, for me the 1980s was completely unknown territory. I was not familiar with the archives. I was not familiar with the primary sources. I had no uh, experience with this time period. But then I realized that uh, basically I, I, I felt that I needed to do what I wanted to do, that that this was a topic and a theme that I was very passionate about. And um, I decided to... Uh, to Follow step your out. intuition. Yes, yes, yes. And I decided to <laughs> basically to step out of my comfort zone. Um, and, you know, I think I, it, it, was, it was challenging uh, to, um, to basically to start a project no, with with no knowledge of the archives or no knowledge of the of the period, uh, but it was also very it was it was a fun project. Uh, I learned a lot, uh, and also I think uh, I the 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 project uh, gave me the opportunity to really fill it up. No, in the in the in the literature. So that that is the that is the road in a way that led me to to write about sexuality and the tape in the 1980s. And also doing more recent history, you had the opportunity to work with other kinds of testimonies, right? And, and resources and, and actually interview and, and talk to the people that were uh, the protagonists of this history. Yes, right? yes. And actually, um, this is interesting because... Um, I, I did oral history for my first book. I interviewed, uh, in the early 2000s, uh, I interviewed very old 
you know, people, Argentines who were young in the 40s and 50s. So basically, one of the chapters in the in the first book is completely based on oral histories. Mm. Um, so I had that experience and I brought that with me uh, for the stab. Of course, the types of, of uh, subjects that I um, interview for the stab are different, no? Um, uh, but uh, this is one of the, I, I guess this is one of the continuations uh, between the two books, no? The, the use of oral sources uh, for the book. However, in both cases, uh, but, but uh, speaking about the Stape, what, what I think is interesting about the, the Stape is a social and cultural history. And I think one of the most, for me, one of the most interesting aspects of, of the project was the possibility to include a very large number of voices and historical actors. So um, be, because of the, of the organization of the book, uh, the, the, the book discusses the destape as a media phenomenon, but also as a phenomenon that happened at the level of social practices, at the level of social experience. That gave me the opportunity to include different voices and different social sectors. So just to name a few, uh, movie directors, writers, uh, sex, sex therapists, journalists, uh, activists, feminists, uh, readers, um, the Catholic Church and Catholic organizations that were the strongest opponents to the Destape. Um, and, and the book is based uh, on a very diverse body of sources, the, 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 oral, uh, the oral interviews that uh, I was just mentioning with a feminist, with sexologists, with journalists, with sex educators, uh, but also uh, magazine collections, films, television shows, sexology books and journals, um, surveys, statistics. Uh, I also work with the internal documents of gay, lesbian, and feminist organizations. And like I mentioned earlier, um, with documents as newsletters authored by Catholic organizations and um, the, the Argentine Catholic Church. Yeah, actually, uh, let's start with the book and how it's organized. You actually start with a poem by a Spanish sociologist, Joseph Vicente Marquez, and the poem is from 1975. Would you, would you like to read it to us? Yes, thank you for the, for the invitation. It's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful poem, and the title of the poem is uh, Una Utopia Razonable, a Reasonable Utopia. And like you said, Candela uh, was authored by Joseph Vincent Marquez. Marquez was a Spanish sociologist who specialized in sexuality and he was a very important figure in the redefinition of modern sexology in Spain after the fall of Francisco Franco's 
dictatorship in the mid-1970s. So the, 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 the word destape, the word destape that Argentines take in order to name uh, this sexualization of culture and society in the early 1980s was first the word that Spaniards use for their own destape uh, in Spain mm. when Franco's, after uh, the end of Franco's dictatorship. So let me read the, um, let me read the, um, the poem and then I'll tell you why this poem is uh, important uh, for my research and how I discovered it. Great. Eroticized life, separate coitus from genital pleasure, reveal coitus as coupling, air out the sex tuck in the genitals, yet honor your genitals as an accepted part of your accepted body. Play down sexual matters without trivializing them. Learn to play and learn the importance of playing. Make love whenever at least to people want to. Don't make love when you really want to do something else. Always do it with, never against. Separate sex from procreation, but also from macho bravado and from resignation, from aggressiveness, competition, and revenge. No sexual techniques, but then forget them, like you forget a book you've studied well. Don't make masturbation a substitute for interaction. Don't make interaction a substitute for masturbation. Blow out age, the time usurped by the patriarch. Make room in bed for humor and tenderness. Try making love to get to know someone, but also try getting to know someone to make love. Forget the inhibitions and the records forever. Don't be indifferent to whether or not you get laid, but don't, don't agonize over it. Invent a new language for speaking plainly about this as you go, without interjecting bluster or mockery. So this beautiful. is, a, <laughs> yes, it is, it is a very beautiful, very, very profound, very substantial poem. And I found this while doing research in the personal archives of a, a sexologist, an Argentine sexologist of the name Mirta Granero, uh, she was a very important figure uh, in Rosario and nationally in Argentina, one of the founders of the, uh, one of the first uh, non-governmental organizations dealing with sex education and family planning in Argentina and one of the founders of the first uh, institute for the study of sexology and sexology clinic outside of Buenos Aires. Uh, so um, I interview uh, Mirta Granero and she very generously allowed me to work in her a personal professional um, archive. Uh, and while working with her materials, I found this, uh, this um, poem in, the, in one of her boxes 
And so I asked her, I mean, what is this poem? And she explained to me that in this time period, this is the this is the the the, the 1980s was the moment of the of the the consolidation, actually the rise and consolidation of sexology and the boom of sex therapy and uh, sexual workshops. So sexologists and sex therapists used this poem to start discussions with oh. these in these workshops and with these individuals, no, and, and the, the, the patients in sex therapy. Um, and I, I realized later at a moment when she explained to me the importance of the of the poem and, and the uses and how they utilize it uh, in these workshops, I didn't really I didn't really um, I, I didn't understand how important this was. And then later, well, while I was, uh, you know, back at home and, and while I was started writing the book, I realized that this uh, poem encapsulated, you know, the uh, most important characteristics of the destape. No, this, this, uh, the, the, the importance of freedom, the importance of pleasure, the importance of identity in connection to sexuality. Uh, and this is the reason why uh, the, the book opens no, with, this, with this beautiful poem, uh, because I think it really exemplifies the richness of the changes that uh, took place with the return to democracy in Argentina. And so what was the destape and what was it reacting against? What was there before? Or what was new about it? Yes, the destape, um, the destape was this explosive sexualization of culture and society, no, in in the 1980s. Um, and I think it's one of the most evident, uh, profound cultural and social transformations in this transition to democracy. Uh, like I said earlier, Argentina experienced the last military dictatorship from 1976 to 1983. And this was one of the bloodiest dictatorships in the region. Uh, and this, the, the, the violence and the, and the repression that pervaded all aspects of society also pervaded sexual culture in the 1970s. So sexual culture during the dictatorship in Argentina was very repressive, was very, very prudish, and very conservative. Um, and just to give you a few examples of this general characterization, let me mention that the dictatorship prohibited family planning in public hospitals. They eliminated um, 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 reproduction clinics uh, and reproductive health clinics in public hospitals. The dictatorship prescribed sex education in schools. 
uh, they persecuted and incarcerated gay people. Uh, in addition to that, uh, sex education and erotic books were prohibited, uh, magazines were banned for including nude images, and uh, filmmakers and film producers were forced to cut sex scenes and avoid themes like uh, themes that were considered quote unquote dangerous by the dictatorship, like adultery and abortion. So, with the return to democracy in 1983, Argentines experienced an unprecedented uh, sexualization of culture that they call a uh, destape. The destape began uh, or gained momentum in uh, 83 and lasted more or less until 87, 88, continued until the end of the decade, but by the early 19, uh, 1990s, uh, the scandal and the novelty that had characterized the, the first years of the Destape uh, were off. Um, so what happened with the Destape is, uh, the, the, basically there are two layers to the Destape. The Destape was a large-scale media phenomenon, right? So what we see is that nudity and sex colonize all types of publications, soft porn movies topped the list of the 10 highest grossing films each year, erotic novels and sexology books became bestsellers, and erotic content inundated uh, television shows. So that is the layer of the large-scale media phenomenon. But what the book shows, and this is, like they said, the first history of the destape, uh, what, the, what the book shows is that in addition to being this large-scale media phenomenon, the destape was a profound transformation in sexual ideologies and practices. And these practices and these ideologies included the boom of sex therapy and sexology, the fight for the introduction of sex education at schools, the expansion of family planning services, and the centrality of discussions on sexuality in the feminist and gay movements. So basically here, just to put it in, in, in other words, Argentine's Cole Destape the mass media phenomenon. No, the sexual content in the media. What I propose is to reconceptualize that idea. Yes, of course, the destape happened at that level, but also included a, a profound process of individual and collective sexual discovery uh, and also included a fight against sexism, homophobia, and sexual Injustice. So there was a destape in films, in uh, literature, television, uh, theater, but there was also a women's destape, a, a, a destape of feminist, a gay, and lesbian activists 
and a destape led by sexologists, sex educators, and sexual health experts. Um, in a way, yes, <laughs> sorry. No, uh, yes, you, you in your book you highlight that it wasn't a homogenous movement, right? And it had different images and discourses and uh, going in different directions and actually with different messages. Could you maybe tell us a little bit of what you found uh, and what these different messages were, especially in relation to democracy, right? Yes. I think that um, one of the... Probably one of the most, for me, one of the most interesting uh, aspects of the book is how it demonstrates that um, beyond paradigmatic democratic practices like elections or the restoration of political rights, Argentines experience and resignify democracy through new ideas about sex and changes in sexuality and sexual culture. Um, just to give you a few examples, sending letters to the editors for sex columns, submitting erotic stories to magazines for publication, buying erotic magazines, uh, attending sex therapy sessions, denouncing sexual violence against women, organizing for the right to abortion, uh, protesting police repression against gay people. Uh, all these are examples of how different groups of Argentines link sexuality and sexual culture with very concrete democratic values like participation, activism, and self-expression. So in a way, sex and sexuality as discourse and practice was a sphere in which democracy for Argentines in the 1980s was experienced as powerfully as in the practice of voting. No, that for, for Argentines, the recuperation of the right to vote, the recuperation of political rights, was only part of the recuperation of the democratic system. But the democracy uh, uh, understood as a living practice was profoundly connected with these ideas about sexuality and practices connected to sexuality uh, and sexual culture most, more generally. Uh, affirming your sexuality was a, or your sexual identity and your uh, wishes and choices was a way of affirming yourself as an individual, right, with choices within a democratic society. Absolutely. Right. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. And this and is why the idea... Uh, the, in the case uh, of the feminists and the sexual minorities, the, the word destape really conveys, the term really conveys you know, this, this uh, uncovering of these identities that had been silenced and repressed you know, in the previous period during the dictatorship. Uh, it is, uh, I think, 
de, 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 de destape of the feminists, the destape of the of the sexual minorities is about you know finding this voice and taking you know, the public uh, sphere in order to fight uh, for women's and sexual minority rights. So we could talk of the stapes in plural, almost right, instead uh, not just of one. Uh, movement. And throughout your, your book, you also noticed that there's an incredible thirst for information about all these topics, and not just among young people, but also among the adult population. And as you were mentioning before, this is reflected in the expansion and commercial success of sexologies. And you describe it, the, this uh, sexology boom, as a, both a cause and an effect of the destape. Uh, could you expand on this? Yes. The, the, there was a very profound symbiotic relationship between sexology as a discipline and the destape as a medium phenomenon. And this is in connection to uh, the, the uh, presence in the media of sexologists for the very first time in the history of the country. So what we see in this time period is uh, sex therapists, sex experts, sexologists in general occupying very important spaces in television, the radio, publishing uh, books and uh, sexology manuals that became bestsellers uh, in the period like never before. So what happened here is that the destape as a media phenomenon was partly fueled by the discourses, the images produced by these sexologists, right? And they became a very important actor uh, in, like, like I said, in all these different cultural expressions. On the other hand, The, these spaces in the media allow the sexologists to become very well-known public figures, to become respected uh, specialists, to, be, to become authoritative voices with regard to these topics. So this is what I mean you know, by, the, by the symbiotic uh, relation. Um, in a way, um, The, the, the sexology played a very important role in liberating Argentines to talk more freely about sexuality and sexual problems. But the platform, or, or the most important platform, and the first platform that sexologists used was the media. Uh, so this is what I, what, what you, what you, Um, mention no, about the relation between the destape and sexology uh, as a discipline. Mm. And, and then parallel to this boom of sexology, you, you also studied like, the different initiatives that fought to redesign um, the way Argentine society and the government thought of family planning and sex education, which in previous decades was directly linked um, both by democratic and dictatorial governments with certain, let's say, civic duties related to demographic growth and national morality. Um, how these organizations uh, 
devoted to sexual health challenge these ideas? Uh, what was their approach? Yes, and 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 this is connected to the to the to the richness, no, of the destape as a social and cultural phenomenon. Um, like like I said at the beginning, the destape was a media phenomenon. So the first two chapters I devoted to that. The first two chapters of the book. The third chapter, chapter number three, discusses uh, sexology uh, and 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 traces what we just discussed. Uh, no traces the institutional, social, and and cultural con- con- the cultural consolidation of the discipline. But for sexologists, no sex was all about pleasure, um, and basically they promoted the idea they had and then promoted was the idea of sexual literacy. They claim that. Uh, in the 1970s, because of the silence, because of the repression and the censorship of the dictatorship, uh, Argentines uh, were completely illiterate when it came to sexual matters. So at the, at the center of this idea of sexual literacy was, this, was the legitimization of the search for pleasure as the main goal of sexuality. And now we take that for granted. I mean, when we discuss sexuality as a topic, pleasure is one of the most important ideas that we connect to. But this was a novelty in the 1980s because during the dictatorship throughout the 1970s, sexuality, the emphasis now, the public emphasis on sexuality was on responsibility, social and personal responsibility connected to reproduction. Okay. And this was n- not only an idea promoted by the military dictatorship, was also an idea promoted by the revolutionary left. For the dictatorship, uh, couples had to produce citizens for the nation, no? And for the revolutionary left, couples had to produce uh, fighters for the revolution. But in both cases, uh, in spite of the of the profound ideological differences between the dictatorship and the revolutionary left, both link sexuality to uh, reproduction. So this is one of the main main um, uh, innovations coming from the sexology discourses. And sexuality is about pleasure and it's finding uh, a personal path uh, to search for that pleasure that was connected to the individ- to an individual's well-being. Okay. But that was only part of the story of the destape. And like you were saying, you know, the other side of the story were those specialists that were not centered, were not focused on pleasure necessarily, but were centered on redefining uh, reproduction and redefining reproduction away from the values of the 1970s dictatorship. So if chapter three is about sexology and the search for pleasure, chapter four moves the discussion into uh, 
the, basically beginning by explaining the repression of sexual and reproductive uh, reproductive healthcare in the 70s right and during the dictatorship sex education was suppressed in schools and all activities related to family planning were prohibited by law and so they completely almost completely disappear from public hospitals um, the military believed that a, a school-based um, sex education and family planning were threats to demographic growth, uh, were uh, threats to morality, and were a challenge to the rights of parents. So this chapter four follows the rise with the return to democracy of uh, non-governmental organizations devoted to health, uh, to sexual health and sex education. And one of the most interesting aspects um, that I found while studying these organizations is that after 1983, these advocates and these experts conceptualize family planning and sex education as human rights. And they um, maintain that family planning and sex education were legitimate means to achieve um, social well-being and personal fulfillment. And this was a, that this was a substantial change in their discourse. Because earlier, in the context of, of, of the repression and, and the censorship of the dictatorship, when they had the opportunity to defend family planning and when they had the opportunity to defend sex education, they did it by uh, arguing that these were um, the means to fight abortion. And so these were remedies uh, against abortion because these were the discourses that they could use in this very repressive context. So in the 1980s, the paradigm changed completely. And now, and now the language changes and both family planning and sex education becomes human rights. And not only that, they proposed both as major factors for the construction and the consolidation of the new democracy. So the idea of uh, protecting public health, the idea of strengthening the economy of the country, the idea of strengthening the processes of national modernization were intrinsically linked uh, to um, reproductive health and sex education. And then in, in the last chapter, you focus more on sexual minorities, uh, a group that, as you were mentioning before, even in this atmosphere of openness, that, that was the Stape, remained largely 
silenced or misrepresented. But you argued that the activism of uh, feminist, gay, and lesbian organizations was actually key in the resurrection of this civil society. Uh, and they were proposing a redefinition of ideas of citizenships and rights and notions of inclusiveness within this new democracy. Um, in, in what ways? Uh, what were some of these groups' contributions? Yeah, the most obvious one is this idea of exp exposing themselves. No, because again, if we consider the context of repression and persecution, no, in the previous period, uh, feminist and 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 sexual minorities uh, spent all these years silenced, uh, persecuted. And, and repressed by the dictatorship. So what happens uh, with the return to democracy is that these, these uh, groups, uh, these social sectors materialized, uh, materialized for the rest of uh, Argentines. No? Uh, this is the reason why uh, they became uh, these, these very important actors in resurrecting the public sphere. And they became visible, they became active, they became public. And they, they, of course, they had existed before, eh? but this is the moment in which eh, we see the, the explosion in the public sphere of these sectors occupying these spaces in marches, in demonstrations, in the media, Mm -hmm. uh, and this is this is a very important phenomenon because again uh, these uh, these groups have been silenced throughout the um, uh, the authoritarian uh, regime. Uh, the other important contribution uh, that is more profound and is more relevant is the use of a language of sexual rights to articulate their agendas. Uh, so while sexologists talk about pleasure, while um, family planning experts and sex educators talk about reproductive health, feminists and sexual minorities took these elements put them together, uh, added this idea of sexual freedom and created a way more complex and holistic agenda that specifically utilized the language of sexual rights. So with this language of sexual rights, these social sectors articulated the defense of non-heterosexual identities, uh, the fight for sexual uh, and reproductive self-determination, the protection of sexual freedom. Um, they denounce sexual violence against women. They denounce uh, police repression and persecution of sexual minorities. They produce a critique of motherhood and they produce a critique of heterosexuality and machismo. And what is interesting about these groups is that in a moment in which um, 
Argentines were passionately celebrating the return to democracy, these social sectors drew attention to the limits of that democracy. Um, in a way, these activists redefined the idea of citizenship and denounced uh, how limited the Argentine democracy was. Here is the, the idea was this. Uh, yes, we recuperated our political rights, but a real democracy respects uh, sexual rights. And for women and for sexual minorities, those sexual rights are not being recognized. So in order to live in a true democracy, the women and sexual minority needs, need to have those rights recognized. And I think this, is, this was one of the most powerful uh, criticisms uh, um, of democracy. And, uh, and um, again, it is connected to different social problems uh, from, uh, from uh, sexual violence against women to the, the, the police persecution of sexual minorities that was present during the dictatorship, but sadly continue uh, into the, uh, the 1980s after the return to democracy. And in general, who who were the main opponents to this expansion of rights and what were the main obstacles to all these um, improvements? Yeah, I think the, uh, there were different conservative sectors um, um, that opposed uh, that oppose the destape at the different levels. The government, um, the, the, the president at that time was Raúl Alfonsín. Raúl Alfonsín was, was the president uh, elected to, uh, to reopen uh, Argentina democratically after the fall of the dictatorship. Now, his government, even though in theory in some cases, embraced some of these uh, goals and ideas of these social sectors, at the end of the day, did not do much in order to, uh, in order to create concrete uh, change in, in, in practice. So institutionally, for example, uh, if, if we go to the case of sex education in schools, the government never... During this time period, the government never passed a law in order to implement sex education in schools. Uh, the national, the federal government uh, did almost nothing in order to uh, establish family planning clinics in public hospitals. When this happened, happened at the local level, at the level of the municipalities or the States, no, the, the provincial level, as we call, uh, we call provincias the states, no, in Argentina. So um, the, the the argument that I want to make is that the changes that were produced were produced 
because of the mobilization of society rather than as a top-down approach coming from the government. Hmm. That does not mean that the government opposed these changes, but the argument is that uh, the, the, the government did not have an active role no, in producing these changes. I think that the main uh, opponent, the most important opposition, came from the Catholic Church and Catholic organizations uh, that became, as the sexologists, the family planning experts, the feminists, the sexual minorities became more and more active, these Catholic sectors also became very active in opposing the destape at the different levels, fighting against sexual content in the media, fighting against sex education, organizing demonstrations against reproductive the, the implementation of reproductive health clinics in hospitals, uh, <coughs> organizing against uh, uh, organizing against the dissemination of, of sexual information uh, in the media, organizing against uh, abortion. So the Catholic Church, and not only the Catholic Church as the institution, but Catholic sectors, because this is, uh, this, this is an, uh, I want to emphasize this. Yes, the Catholic uh, Church institutionally was a very important opposing force. But what we see in this time period is the organization of uh, Catholics in local, um, uh, in local institutions in order to fight this destape eh, with a language that revolved, uh, that revolved around the family, morality, um, uh, the protection of children. Eh, but at the end of the day, uh, it was fighting against the sexual freedoms and the sexual liberties that the other social sectors were uh, fighting for. Right. And you also mentioned uh, instances of uh, terrorist attacks against some of these groups too, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. The, 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 the attacks um, came from uh, right-wing sectors more than ultra-Catholic sectors. The ultra-Catholic sectors organized uh, marches, lobby with the government, but you also have instances of attacks, for example, were very common uh, in the in the 83, 84, 85, you know, the first years in the return to democracy against theaters and, and movie theaters. Um, so this created, in a way, this was a continuation of the climate of fear eh, that was prevalent during the dictatorship. Um, now, in a way, of course, this was uh, this was a problem you not know, for the audiences. This was a problem for the owners of the theaters and the movie theaters, and it was a problem for the for the filmmakers and the and the and the theater directors, uh, but uh, what is interesting is even though these attacks happened, um, the audiences continue 
because of this appetite no, for this content, mm-hmm. continue going to the movies, continue going to the theaters and making uh, erotic um, movies or erotic plays. Uh, successful. Very <laughs> successful, yes, yes. And so now we're in 2020, four decades later. What do you see? Have things improved? They're the same? What What do you think? Yes, I think that um, what is interesting, um, I think, in Argentina is that uh, we we live in a very, we still live in a very sexualized um, in a very sexualized sexualized culture that of course is not something that uh, all only characterizes Argentina. No, this is this is a global phenomenon um, in a way. What is interesting about um, Argentina is that there is no a, a continuation of this this um, the, 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 the most important components of the destape that we can trace in a way uh, uh, from the 1980s to uh, to the present date. Um, I think that what is interesting for me is to be able, uh, I mean, if we, can, if we can trace back the sexualization of culture to the 1980s, what is interesting, what is most interesting to me is that we also can trace back the fight for sexual freedoms to the 1980s um, and, 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 and the context of the Destape. So the fight, the fight of Argentine women for the right um, uh, to abortion right now uh, in Argentina, the, the, the fight of women against uh, sexual violence against women and against femicide no, in Argentina, that it was so important and so prevalent today, the roots of that fight are very visible in the fight of sexual minorities and women in the 1980s. No, in that, in that destape, the destape of feminists and the destape of sexual minorities, no, the, uh, the, that language of sexual rights that now we use uh, very commonly um, is a language that was developed in the in that feminist destape and that gay and lesbian destape in the 1980s. Uh, so I guess that for me, uh, and this is something that that uh, that I uh, briefly discuss in the in the epilogue of the book. Uh, I think it's important to recognize those historical. Uh, pioneers, and it's important to recognize uh, the historical roots of these progressive uh, social movements that are so important for uh, the sexual rights of women and, 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 and sexual minorities in Argentina today. Yes, as I was telling you before, just before starting the interview, there were many of these names of an organizations I had no idea of. I had, and um, yeah, and the, their work was incredible. Um, well, Natalia, we're taking a lot of your time. Before wrapping up, could I ask you what you're working on now? Yes, actually, uh, in connection to to what I just mentioned, uh, my next research project. Uh, or what I consider in is a is a 
Cultural and Social History of Femicide in Argentina. No? So mm-hmm. the, the gender-motivated killing of women. And the idea was actually born um, when um, I was conducting research for the STAPE, no? Uh, and at the very same time, uh, I was also inspired you know, by the mobilization of Argentine women in the uh, Ni Una Menos movement, you know, the uh, Not One More movement that rallies against the abuse and murder of women. So I think that current understandings of femicide uh, portrayed it as a new social problem. No, but I believe that on the contrary, femicide has a long social and legal history. So the idea is to try to reconstruct no, that history in the 20th century. Um, again, I think that it's, in part I'm influenced by this, this recuperation of historical roots, no? And, and I think that right now, uh, the Argentine media, uh, since the, since the beginning of this, of the phenomenon, the phenomenon of the, of the uh, Nuna Menos has emphasized, no? That violence against women and the, and the killing of women is something new, like something that started happening Ten years ago, or five years right. ago, right? Uh, and that is not the case. That is not that. That is not the case. You know, the vi- violence against women and and the the gender motivated killing of women has a long history. So my idea is to write a cultural history that w- will show the changing representations of femicide and the victims in the media over time. Uh, but also the silences and the omissions in quote unquote official histories, no? Um, so basically, that those are some of the ideas that I'm, 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 I'm considering right now. It sounds really interesting, and I'm looking forward to reading your work again. Then. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and now, once again, thank you for speaking with us today. Uh, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure, Candela. Thank you very much for the invitation.